0: This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Welcome once again inside the hot stove. and Boy, we never needed a hot stove like we do these days here in Seattle. Happy to have you with us, as always. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, Declan Jasper Wilder running things for us here in the studio tonight. Uh, Shannon is, as you know... Uh, always with us, but, Gary, uh, Shannon is shooting road flares off in Issaquah and uh, eating stale white bread at this point, I That's think. right. That's right.
1: I, 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 I just got a text there. from her. She's fine. Okay. Yeah. She just snowed in like a lot of people out, She's out there. She's just
0: going to be eating like a minor league broadcaster for a couple of days That's right. if she doesn't have any extra food in the yeah, house. Yeah, I told her to contact us if she needs
1: help. and <laughs> I don't know what I can do
0: about it. <laughs> Well, uh, we've got a a nice hot stove show lined up for you tonight. We will uh, be hearing from a couple of guys who are right now making their way through lovely Portland. They're on the Mariners Care Community Tour. Shed Long will be joining us here in the first hour. Also, Mariners reliever Brandon Brennan. We're going to start tonight with our American League West preview for 2020. One of our favorite guys in the game, and especially in the division, Evan Grant, who covers the Texas Rangers for the Dallas Morning News We'll join us on the phone from the great state of Texas in the second hour of the program. We'll be talking with uh, somebody. Gary, this is kind of becoming an an annual tradition for us to have Jesse Smith on the show. Jesse, as I'm sure many folks know by now, the Mariners Director of Analytics, which is a a pretty awesome job. And uh, Jesse is always kind enough to give us some time every year and and during the season also and to kind of take us behind the curtain on some things. Always looking forward to talking some some, uh, nerdy things with Jesse Smith. He was going to be here, too. He was snowed in. You're right, yes.
1: But he will be on the show via phone. And that conversation is always fantastic. Uh, getting his insights really gives us uh, a look at kind of the inner workings of all kinds of different facets, whether it's the draft, you know how they look at free agents. If you go down the list, I always learn something every time I talk to Jesse Smith.
0: He's great. He's fantastic. The uh, news of... Uh The week, I suppose, around baseball, Gary, of course, is what has happened to the Houston Astros. And for those who maybe haven't heard or maybe you've only heard bits and pieces, their skipper, A.J. Hinch, their general manager, Jeff Luno, both suspended a year by Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, for their unwillingness to do anything to stop or hinder the – Scandal of them stealing signs using a centerfield camera and then, of course, relaying the signs to the hitters, uh, most of the time in the uh, caveman fashion of banging on a trash can, which apparently was uh, effective enough. So they were both suspended for a year, and then they were immediately fired by the owner of the Astros, Jim Crane. The Astros have been saddled with a $5 million fine, which uh, per the Constitution of Baseball is the maximum fine that a team can be levied. So $5 million out of Jim Crane's pockets. And then add on to that, they have – this is really big. They have to forfeit their first and second round picks both in 2020 and in 2021 on so many levels, Gary – uh, this is uh, colossal news, not just for the world of baseball, but for sports. We don't see this type of punishment and this type of a scandal uh, revealed like it was by the athletic uh, all too often. This is huge news in the division and in baseball.
1: It's huge news, and the story's still developing. Uh, right? We've seen the tentacles of the story reach to the Red Sox already today. I mean, Cora's been let go by the Red Sox. His future, I mean, he's still going to get a ban, I assume. We'll see how long, but he, he's been relieved, so we'll see how Far this story reaches and who else it reaches to, but this is massive news for baseball and obviously for the Mariners in the same division with the Houston Astros who they've built a power. I mean, you look at what they've done down through the years and it's hard to believe if you would have said after they raised the trophy in 2017 that their general manager and manager would be gone just two years later. It is a startling development, but it's one where they really only have themselves to blame when you look at The backdrop is the Red Sox got nailed for this a couple years ago. It was common knowledge. Everyone knew. They were warned. All 30 teams were warned. All 30 teams were warned, and yet the Astros, it's what they did. I mean, it was player-driven, but as you said, the manager and general manager, let it happen, or it happened under their watch, however you want to say it.
0: And Cora, of course, the now former skipper of the Red Sox, Alex Cora, is the one who Comes off looking the worst yeah. out of everyone. No players were disciplined. I think that's important to get out there. And Commissioner Manfred, cause I think, I'm sure you're like me and a lot of people who are thinking, well, the, the players are the one who did it. Right? How are they getting away scot free? And as Commissioner Manfred said, there's just it is it gets really muddy really quickly when you try to discipline the players for a whole host of reasons. For one, a lot of those players are someplace else. And it's yeah. unclear it, to the degree that every player use the trash can.
1: And then it, if you only ding the players, you're not hurting the team right. that allowed this to happen. And the way I look at a scenario like this, if you're trying to cut a behavior from happening again, mm-hmm. go after the people at the top sure. is the way to do it. Because you, if whether you're a manager now for the Twins or or the Red Sox, or whoever, the Pirates, go down the list, a manager, a general manager, uh, you'll make sure this isn't happening.
0: You're not going to turn an eye to it. That's right. Like A.J. Hinch did. That's
1: right. I mean, jo- we have seen jobs are on the line.
0: Now, the amazing thing to me, and we have gotten to know A.J. very well during his time with the Astros for a couple of reasons. One, they've been one of the premier teams in baseball, for the most part, under his watch. They were. They nearly won two World Series in a three-year span. Yeah. Jer- a near
1: dynasty of a team. If they had won the World Series yeah. this year,
0: that's a dynasty. I mean, Jerry Depoto, Mariners general manager, was very forthright in saying earlier this year, at the end of the season, I should say, that the Astros are the best baseball team he'd ever seen. Yeah. The 2019 Astros. I mean, they were incredible. And to me, it is, it's is—it's more of a life lesson than anything. Man, no matter how high you are in life, <laughs> nobody's invincible. Nobody. I mean, this is, A.J. Hinch was... He he could have been the owner of two World Series trophies and the overseer of a dynasty. Instead, he stuck with just one World Series, and he's he is going to be marred in this game for the rest of his life.
1: Yeah, for something too. How much did it really help? I mean, there's questions about that too. I mean, they're getting dinged. They stopped
0: using this method midway through the following season because they didn't find that it was getting the results that really warranted it. So and, you're right.
1: And now you look at them and it, everything is so uncertain. We're a month away from spring training. They're without a GM, without a manager. They're still really talented. They're going to be sure. a good baseball team this year, but now all of a sudden they have question. you know, without a couple draft picks coming up, they have some guys coming up as well with Correa and Springer in the near future. I mean, they have some serious questions coming up that need to be answered. And this is going to be a fascinating year for the Houston Astros and big picture no one will ever look at that 2017 World Series championship the same.
0: As the investigation made very clear, there is firm evidence that they were using these tactics all the way through the World Series. Yeah. Rob Manfred said that he doesn't believe the commissioner's office has ever investigated anything to the level in which this was investigated. Over 76,000 emails were looked through, in addition to plenty of text messaging, mm-hmm in addition to nearly 70 in-person interviews, the last number that I saw. I mean, this is, uh, from a Mariners perspective, when you think about the Mariners' time frame that Jerry has laid out time and time and time again, I think it could be easy for any fan to say, well, yeah, but the, I mean, the Astros aren't going anywhere, right? I mean, they're, they have this powerhouse, this churning powerhouse of talent. But, man, you strip a first and a second-round pick, yeah. trying to get high-end talent beginning with your third-round pick, it can be done, but it's not going to be – to the level of a first and a second in back-to-back years. You mentioned Springer, his final year before free agency is 2020. Correa, two more years beginning in 2020. All of a sudden, uh, that starts to make the Mariners' window look a lot better. The Mariners still have a long way to go to get there, but the path is being paved by what player development is doing and those acquisitions. We've seen the farm system improve. We're going to see a number of those guys begin in Seattle this year. Or I should say, we'll see them in Seattle. Some, like Evan White, will likely begin mm-hmm. in Seattle. Uh, this is obviously a, a really crippling blow to the game. It's a really black eye for yeah, baseball. It's not great. But for the Mariners, this is certainly uh, makes their plan look even a little bit better.
1: And you look at the Astros, too, already suffering some heavy losses. You look at this year with the top three in Cy Young award voting, uh, Morton, who they lost two years ago, and Cole, who they lost this year. I mean, that's... It's not easy to recover from on its own.
0: This is big news. We'll be touching more on this uh, coming up later in the first hour when Evan Grant joins us. That'll be in roughly half an hour from now. Evan, the Rangers beat writer for the Dallas Morning News. I wonder if our Rangers fans enjoying this.
1: Oh, I I actually can't wait to get Evan's perspective on this too because it's pretty exciting in a new stadium and uh, they've had a pretty significant offseason as well. This is going to be a fun conversation with Evan. It always is with Evan
0: you normally. Let's let's not get he's probably listening right now because he's that kind of a guy. <laughs> hey, when we come back here on the first hour of the hot stove, we'll be joined by Mariner's uh well, second baseman, left fielder. We saw him play a little bit all over the place. Shed Long joins us. He will be calling in from Portland, Oregon on the Mariner's Care Community Tour. We talk with Shed coming right up. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Here's the set by Parker, and again, the 0-2 on the way to Shed. Swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Down the line, going and going. Goodbye baseball. Shed Long with his first home run in the big leagues. A three-run home run here in the top of the eighth inning. Holy smokes. And it's now the Mariners 6 and the Twins 1. And forget a solo, Jack, for your first one. How about a three-run dinger? Hey, you know, it was this time last year that we met Shed Long for the first time on the phone when the Mariners acquired Shed. And uh, Shed, man, we have gotten to know you uh, a lot more in a year than we had uh, before you'd been a part of the Mariners organization. And uh, what a season it was for you uh, playing both in AAA and the big leagues. Uh, first of all, man, thank you for joining the show. How is uh, how is Portland and the Mariners Care Community Tour treating you?
2: Having me. Oh, Portland is very cold right now. <laughs> um, snow on and off, and yeah, it's cold. It's not my kind of weather for sure.
0: Hey, man, it was uh, uh, really fun to kind of watch your year unfold last year. You caught everybody's eye. Uh, you were the clubhouse leader in swag in spring training. And uh, that carried you over into the regular season when you made your debut with the Mariners. When When you look back to last year, Shed, you're number one for you in the majors. And what do you think about first and foremost?
2: Um, I think about, you know, learning, honestly. Um, I learned so much uh, last season. Definitely, like, the most I've probably learned my whole career in a season, you know. So I that's really what I think about and I just think about um quality and professionalism, you know. It it taught it taught me, you know, how to be a professional, a real professional. And just um seeing the seeing the guys that's great in this game, seeing them go about their day, it it kinda taught me, you know, how to have a routine as a professional and how to how to work with quality and how, you know, you always hear people say, you know, quality over quantity. But, you know, I feel like they say that, but they don't abide by it. But, you know, being there, it really taught me to quality, work with quality, work with a purpose. You know what I mean?
1: You had so many firsts, your first big league game, your first hit, your first home run. Do you have a favorite moment from last year?
2: Favorite moment from last year? Um it's definitely gotta be my first hit, you know, just because my parents were there. And, um so, you know, that was, that was a huge moment for me. And that was definitely a dream for me and it was a dream come true. So that's definitely one of the big moments. But I mean, my first homer is, it's right there at the top with it because, um, honestly, D, D made that one of the most special moments ever, you know, so. Both of those are just like right at the top together.
1: What What did D do to make it so special?
2: Well, just you know, he's like a mentor to me. Um, we we've been close for years now. Work out in all seasons for the last what four or five years, and so uh, he was on base when I hit that homer. He was on first base, and he was actually happier than I was. You know, he was yelling and screaming the whole time that I was running around the bases. And that's why I was um, teasing so hard because I was actually laughing the whole time that I was running around the bases. I was laughing at him just of how pumped he was. And he actually told me after, he said, I was more happy for you than I was more happy for myself when I hit my first homer hit, you know. And so just being able to share that moment with him after all the hard work and grinding and talks that we've had and stuff, you know, it was, it was definitely big time. Oh,
0: that's a great story. Hey, if, since you and D are so tight, Shed, I mean, in, in the off season or during the season, does he ever let you drive the black Lambo?
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I like the I like the Bentley truck, so I drive the Bentley all the time. <laughs>
0: oh, there's a Bentley truck that we don't know about.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I drive that because the Lambo Lambo's a little too rough. You got to drive the Lambo. I like to just. You know, sit back and cruise and relax.
0: <laughs> That's very, very generous of D. Uh, it sounds like you choose your friends wisely. Good for you. Hey, when we uh, sure. when we look back at your season last year, Shed, you know, you talked a little bit earlier as we're speaking with Shed Long here on the Hot Stove Show. You talked about kind of finding a routine. It would appear as though Shed, you found that in particular in the final month of the season. Man, you ended really well in September. An OPS of over eight fifty. You got moved to the leadoff spot near the end of the season and really flourished there. Was there anything in particular that you can point to as a, a reason for that success, particularly at the end of the year?
2: I mean, definitely one is, you know, having a consistent routine. I was coming in at the same time every day. I was, you know, doing pretty much the same thing every day, Or just, you know, planning things out and having a plan every day when I got to the ballpark. You know, and So that definitely helped me have more success but um, also just, you know, having the confidence, you know, um, being in the leadoff spot and being put there every day knowing that they trust me to, you know, set the tone for the game. And so, you know, that gave me more confidence and just that's all I wanted to do was really come in and set the tone and, you know, do what I had to do to help us win games, you know
1: we We saw you all over the place too left field, third base, second base. How challenging was it to to play all in those different spots at this level
2: very very um you know that was my first time playing outfield, mm-hmm. so it was a huge challenge, but i mean i I took it on and um I was out there doing early work every day and um having to do double work really because I have to do early work in the outfield and I got to do infield work so <laughs> You know, it was it was definitely hard, but it was all worth it, you know. And, and my biggest thing was I just want to be on the field. I want to be able to be in the lineup or whatever. So wherever I need to be, I, I'll be there. So, you know, it, it, um, it came down to me having to play left. So I had to do what I had to do to get better at it and be able to do it. Because, I mean, I want to be out there. But I don't want it to where the pitchers don't want me out there, you know. So I had to work.
0: Shed, a, a story that I want to share, I, I told you over the course of the season when this happened, and Gary actually reminded me of this b- before he took the air tonight, but I, I think other people would, would find this interesting as well, and I'd love to hear you talk about it again. Uh, over the summer, my son Jackson, who, who just turned five, loves the Mariners, and he knows all of you guys by name and recognizes you. He, I mean, he can't read, but he can see the nameplates on the root graphics, and he knows who everybody is. And we were in the backyard playing baseball one day, and he put on his Mariner's sunglasses, which was one of the giveaways at a game. And I'm pitching to him, and he puts on it. First of all, he he was not wearing the glasses. And then I'm about to pitch to him, and he says, Dad, hold on. And he runs to the side of the yard. He picks up the sunglasses, puts them on, goes back into our fake batter's box, and says, OK, I'm shed long. <laughs> <laughs> And to me, you know, at first I thought that was just kind of cool and cute and, like, that's great. And my kids dialed in. This is awesome. Proud dad moment. But then the more I thought about it from your perspective, Shed, I mean, you, you'd you been in the bigs for, like, maybe a month or two, right? I mean, you played in mm-hmm. 30-some games, and there's a kid in a backyard in Seattle who is pretending to be you. And I just thought, man, that's, like, that's got to be one of the best versions of, man, I'm I'm in the show, when there's a kid in the backyard pretending to be you?
2: For sure. For sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those surreal moments, you know, but it also is one of those things that just, it, it, it kind of, it brings me back to it. It makes me just remember. You know, it's like a motivation. It makes me remember that every night when I show up to the ballpark, I need to be giving it my all, and I need to be trying to be at my best because you never know who's watching. You never know who you're going to impact that night, you know, and especially for the younger kids. I mean, they're watching and they want to grow up and be in that position someday, so you always have to be, you know, a good role model for them and just try to show them the way, the right way, you know.
1: Now that you've been there and experienced it, does it change anything you do this offseason, getting ready for this season?
2: just trying to work smarter, you know. Um, paying attention to more detail. I mean, every off season I'm working hard and I'm grinding. So, you know, that doesn't change. I'm going to grind like like I have nothing until I have it all, you know, but um it definitely just it I definitely feel like I have more knowledge this off season. So, I was able to work a little better like where well, I didn't have to do as much, but pay attention to more details and just get it done.
0: Our final thought here was Shed Long, who joins us here on the Hot Stove Show. He's coming in from Portland, a uh, very frigid Portland. He's part of the Mariner's Care Community Tour. Shed, did I see right? Have you have you changed numbers? Are you going from number 39 to something else?
2: I am. I'm going to my, my old faithful number four, uh, I wore as a kid growing up. That was my dad's favorite number, so it became my favorite number. Um Yeah, so I'm going back to number four and I'm putting junior on my last name on my jersey as well.
0: Now it's funny you bring that up because Gary was tooling around was a fangrafts guy. Yeah. Fangrafts has you as a junior. And we didn't and Gary now Gary's a junior shed, so now you that's the one thing you have in common with Gary. Yeah. You're both juniors. We're both juniors. Uh can you tell us uh, the the motivation to having the junior on there? I mean, that could have easily been left off, and nobody would have known been the wiser.
2: Honestly, um, so last year when I was in Tacoma, um, EY, Eric Young Jr., he was there with me as well, and he had his jersey on one day, and I saw it, it says Young Jr. He, he has a junior on his. And I was just looking at his jersey one day, and I said, you know what, EY? It's why we were sitting in the dugout, living in the the middle of an inning. And I'm like, you know what, Ewa? I'm putting Junior on my jersey. I got to put the Junior on there. You know, that's my name, so that's what I'm going to put on there. And he encouraged it, so after that moment, it was – my mind was made up. As soon as the season ends, I'm telling them we got to change it to Junior. We got to put Junior on there.
1: So when we talk about you and when we introduce you to this show, should we say Shedlong Junior?
2: Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, okay. that's how it's going to be. That's how I'm going to be referred to now. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's going to be. That's what's going to be on TV. That's on the site. Everything.
1: Nice.
0: That's a, and now. I mean, this in a very good way. That's that's a great power move, Gary. That's how it's going to be. Yeah, you understand. That's right. how it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, Gary's a junior. He can relate to this. I
1: I know. That's why I asked exactly. the question. So we're going to call Gary Junior. <laughs> <laughs> See, there it is. He knows. He knows. <laughs> Shed, man,
0: you are a, a wonderful person to talk to. Uh, just terrific answers and uh, good stories. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank and uh, man, we, thank we're looking forward to seeing lot. you in some uh, warmer weather once we get down to Peoria, my man. Oh yes, sir. Can't wait to get to Arizona, man. All right. Well, Shed Long Jr., uh, we thank him for joining us here on the Hot Stove Show. And uh, you know, Gary, you can Gary Jr. I mean, there are there are some guys that you talk to. And the answers that they give you are, they answer the question that is asked, which is fair, right? Sure. But I find every time we talk to Shed, man, it's like he answers a question and then he gives you bonus. Yeah. Right? And every, it's just, he's a really pleasant guy to speak with.
1: One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Gary Payton. And he said, whenever you read something, you find something out. I feel like whenever we talk to Shed Long Jr., we find something out.
0: Multiple things. Yeah. Case, no, it's
1: though. great. It's, he's so much fun to talk to, and uh, he was so much fun to be around last year. Um, you talked about the end of his season on the field. Sure. And just how good he was. I really, he is one of the guys that I am really looking forward to watch this year.
0: Good stuff from Shed Long Jr. joining us here on the hot stove. Good way to get things going. When we come back, you know, right now, Shed is handing the phone across the bus aisle to Brandon Brennan. Mariners reliever Brandon Brennan joins us. After this.
1: Back to more of the Hot Stove on
0: 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hot Stove Show continues. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill as we continue checking in on the Mariners Care Community Tour, which right now is enjoying uh, hopefully some good food, one of the great food towns in America down in Portland. As we welcome on the phone, Brandon. Brennan, Mariners Relief, joins us on the program. Brandon, uh, how you doing, man? Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm
3: doing pretty good, guys. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing well now. Shed was uh uh now shed was complaining about some some cooler temperatures. Are you you doing all right there in Portland with with the weather? Where it is? I'm doing just I'm doing just fine actually. I I'm I'm pretty good. I'm
3: enjoying a little bit cooler. I run a little bit hotter, I think, than that dude does. He's, a, he's used <laughs> to that really hot and that humid weather.
0: Where Where is the off-season spin for you, Brandon?
3: So I, I spent most of it this off-season out in uh, Scottsdale. I moved out there kind of around the season, and I didn't really want to bounce around this whole off-season. Usually most off-seasons I have done that, so this one I kind of wanted to get set in one spot and just be in one spot through spring training and get comfortable and be ready when baseball got
0: around does that mean that you go in, I mean, Scottsdale and Peoria, they're not exactly next door to one another. Uh, but I mean, do you work out at the Mariners complex or do you work out on your own someplace else?
3: So um, before I started to throw, I just did a lot of my own workouts. Um, but as soon as throwing picked up, then I started going into the facility and continuing uh, the same kind of schedule and routine I had going on at the end of the season that we had kind of come up with. So I just, figured it was probably a good thing to be out there for that too, to continue what I was doing to get on the right page for when season starts up.
1: So you made it through your first big league season when it's all said and done, how do you feel about your first year?
3: I thought it was pretty successful in my, in my opinion. I mean, people always jump all over numbers, this, this, or that, good or bad. But for the overall, I mean, I showed a lot of immediate uh, success when I first got up there Um Learned a lot in the process, got my, got beat up a little bit, came back and uh, adjusted to the game within the game and everything that was coming out about me and showed success again Then the end of the season with the rolls coming out of the bullpen. So overall, for me, I look at it as an absolute success. I learned a lot, and I'm looking forward to putting all of it to uh,
0: to use for this coming season. How much, Brandon, have you been told about how the Mariners learned of you? Prior to the Rule 5 and how basically your changeup on paper was essentially graded out in their mind as like the best pitch of anyone in the Rule 5 and a pitch that they believed just looking at the metrics of it uh, using TrackMan data that they believe that this pitch could really be effective against major league hitters. And and that's the reason why they selected you in the rule five. And they were obviously correct. And we saw how devastating of a pitch it is. I mean, did you know about that? And if so, at what point did you kind of learn that that was your, your path to the Seattle and to the big leagues?
3: So um, when I first developed it, honestly, I had it for like the last year I was with the white Sox. That was like the first full season I really had with that changeup. And, I mean, I knew then that it was a pretty dominant pitch because I could throw it at any count at any point, and I could get either a swing and miss or a miss hit and get an out with it. Um, and so I didn't know that Seattle was picking me because of that, obviously. I, to be told, you, I, I was not expecting to be a Rule 5 selected person anyways. I like I was sitting on the couch with my nephew in one hand and my dog in the other, and just hanging out watching morning TV until my phone started blowing up and you're like, hey, you're rule five pick. I'm like, uh, okay. Well, I wasn't expecting that, but that's awesome. Um, but, yeah, they sat me down when I first got out there. Uh, they had little meetings with everybody, and they're like, hey, this is really what we see. This is how we project you to be out. This is why we picked you in the rule five. And this changeup is going to be really the key to your
1: success. Did did I hear that right? You didn't start throwing it though until the last year you were with the White Sox. Yep, I didn't.
3: I didn't. I did not fully develop it. The first, the last season I was with them is the first full season I actually had that pitch.
1: So how did you? How did it come about?
3: Um, at the time, majority of my career with the White Sox, I was a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the last years I was with them as a, like as an actual starter before I got moved to the bullpen, I was getting my butt kicked and it was so much because I had no speed deception between anything. I was throwing a hard fastball. My changeup I had at the time was 88, 89 and I had a hard slider. So by the fourth inning, I can go through the lineup one time fine, but by the second time, it was they always were able to fight it off or put it in play enough to get a base hit and I would throw a lot of pitches and I'd be exhausted and I'd be like, oh, "It's just not fun." Brandon, um, and then I worked with uh, I worked with a guy named Jr. Purdue over there, and he's like, "All right, we need to find something that's going to really throw the hitters off their timing, keep them off, keep them off your heater." And uh, we messed around with a lot of different grips, change up wise, and we found one that just—I mean, I just fell in love with it, and it worked, and it sat in my hand right, and just—I mean, it became the pitch I have now.
0: Brandon Brennan is our guest here on the Hot Stove. Uh, you know, Brendan. I, uh, uh, Brendan, I'm always interested in kind of learning what a player's man. I'm in the big leagues. Moment is like the first time that you had that thought, whether it be when you're on the mound, whether you're sitting in the bullpen, whether it's at the hotel on the bus. It doesn't have to be at the ballpark. But what was the first moment where you're like, "This is my first look around me." Be like, "Man, this is this is happening. I'm I'm in the show."
3: Oh, I mean, opening day. I mean, obviously we went, we went to Tokyo and that was really cool, but it was kind of like, obviously I made my debut out there, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite the same, obviously, because we also played the two exhibition games. We came back and played another two exhibition games, but when we opened up against, I mean, obviously the world champs at the time, Boston Red Sox, who just won the world series. So they're coming into town to open up the season and, we're doing the rolling out the carpets, the stadiums packed. I had my parents there; their first time to come see a game, and I I got to even go in the game. I threw the last two innings, closed out the first game, and then when I saw mom and dad after, oh boy, the emotions were flying then.
0: I bet, man, I can imagine. Uh, well, you know, Brandon, this is awesome of you to join us. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to year number two for you in, in an Mariners uniform, and uh, you know, worth noting too, Gary, sneaky good hair. Brandon, yeah, brandon. yeah wow. i think this this was not covered enough in year one brandon would you agree with that assessment i'm sorry i missed that sneaky good hair brandon i mean i don't think that was you know
3: i try i try to have it as nice as i can
0: yeah and no, i think so i think people people need to be aware of that and we're we're just trying to <laughs> trying to increase your brand a little bit more uh brandon I mean, hey no i appreciate it <laughs> Hey, uh, keep Shed warm. Maybe get him a jacket or something there in Portland. uh, You know, I'm going to
3: go. He just hit up the Nike store. I'm pretty sure he bought himself something to try and keep him warm for the next two
0: days. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, it's great checking in with you. We look forward to seeing you not too far from now in Peoria under some sunshine, my man.
3: No, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys, too. Let's go back to baseball,
0: man. You got it. There he is, Brandon Brennan, out of the Mariners bullpen. Good stuff, man. Good conversation there with Brandon. When we return, uh, we'll be wrapping up hour number one here on the Hot Stove Show. Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News covers the Texas Rangers, does a fine job of it. Rangers beat writer Evan Grant joins us in a moment. All things Mariners, all off season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. This is the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. As we are in the back end of the hour number one, we bring in uh, one of our good friends in the game, the one and only Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News, does a fine job covering the Texas Rangers. You know, Evan, Gary and I were just talking during that commercial break. We were talking about how what we wanted to ask you about. We wanted to get on the same page here. And it, it kind of went like this. Uh, I would make fun of you, you would fire back at me, and then you'd probably hang up, and then we'd go to break. Does that sound <laughs> like an appropriate segment to you?
4: I believe the text that I got from you earlier today first addressed me as uh, handsome fella.
0: Is yeah, was, I mean loosely, loosely interpreted. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, Evan, Actually, it's good. It's good to hey, hear your voice.
4: You big sexy man. Well, I don't know. I
0: don't know if I. I mean, I don't want to make an Astros investigation out of this or anything. Okay, um, we'll just take your word for it. Happy New Year to you, All Evan. Right. How are you, my friend?
4: I'm good. How are you guys? It's good to be with you.
0: Likewise. Good to be with you as well. Thank you for carving out some time out late uh, back there in the great state of Texas. Um, you know, Evan, Gary and I were, were talking about the Rangers uh, earlier tonight before we, uh, the show started, and you know, in our conversation about the Rangers during the season was that it kind of felt like a team that was doing the opposite of every other team, which was either they're all in and going for it or they're completely out of it and rebuilding the Rangers were kind of it felt like idling but man the Rangers are making some moves a headline by Corey Kluber you know increase the rotation Kyle Gibson is now a Texas Ranger Jordan Lyles has joined things Todd Frazier was just signed you got a new ballpark what's the feeling in the Metroplex in terms of this 2020 season for the Texas Rangers
4: well I I think the this- it's about incremental improvement, and that can be a big increment. It can be a small increment. But I think the Rangers feel like they are through um, the teardown portion of their of their rebuild or the reorganization portion of their rebuild, and they are moving towards higher ground. Um, you look at the moves that they've made this offseason. Uh, the, the big move they wanted to make was Anthony Rendon. They didn't get that one done. What they have pivoted to, to and what they, the, the various moves that they've made, uh, I, I think helps them get incrementally better just about everywhere around the field. And I'm not so sure they're done yet. I, I, I still think it's very possible that they'll. They'll add Nicholas Castellanos to the roster um, uh, as another right-handed bat to further balance the lineup. And, and if you if you do that and you go around the field and you look at this club, I think you see a, a better team on the field than you did last year. Is it good enough to unseat the Astros if the Astros come close to repeating what they did last year as AOS? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if it's good enough to unseat Oakland, but... I do think this will be a better team uh, in 2020. And and I, I really think that 21 and 22 is when the Rangers view their, their opportunity really significantly opening up.
1: I know there's some health questions surrounding Corey Kluber, obviously. He only pitched in seven games last year. But it felt like what the Rangers had to give up was pretty light considering Kluber's background. What is your view of that deal for Corey Kluber?
4: Yeah, I feel I I, I don't want to denigrate anybody that the Rangers gave up. I, I think the world of Delano DeShields, I think he's he's a great defender. I think he's got more in the tank than he has shown. I, I think sometimes he's his own worst enemy because he wants to be so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, look, Emmanuel Clase was, was throwing 100 miles an hour when he came up last year but here's the deal. At, at this point, the Shield is, is, a, is a great fourth outfielder um, and, and, and possibly more than that. And a is, is a
0: is a reliever.
4: And when you've got the ability to, to put those two guys in the deal and get a guy who can front a rotation the way Kluber can, if he's healthy, I think you've got to take that chance. Uh, I think they, the Rangers would have taken that chance if it presented itself, whether they had gotten a big name first in the free agent market or not, because it just, there's uh, innings eaters, uh, top tier starting pitchers are so hard to come by in this game. Uh, and, and I think that the Rangers saw an opportunity there where they felt like, we can we can now stack Kluber into, into a rotation that showed last year it has some innings eating capability with Mike Miner and, and Lance Lynn. You add in Kyle Gibson and you add Jordan Lyles as a number five guy. I think this team could be looking at at a lot of six inning starts, and that kind of runs counter to where a lot of baseball is right now. But when you can, and that's been out of necessity for a lot of teams. But when you get six inning starts from six inning starts from guys, teams are six are, are, are winning sixty percent of the time or better, and that I think is what the Rangers are trying to simplify this down to. If you give us innings, we'll have a chance to win.
0: Rangers beat writer Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News is our guest on the Hot Stove Show. You know, Evan, for the last couple of years, few years, we've been talking to you at this time of the year about your Hall of Fame vote. And voting for Edgar, so we can stop asking you about <laughs> your votes for Edgar. And you have you did vote for Edgar. Uh, now, we still want to talk to you about your Hall of Fame ballot because you have uh, on it uh, a Mariner, former Mariner, Omar Vizquel, uh, received your vote this year. And um, he's kind of been a lightning rod uh, for Hall of Fame voters, pro or con. Uh, pro, of course, for his incredible defensive abilities. Con, people don't see him as enough of an offensive threat despite collecting some really good hitting numbers over the course of about a 25 year career. I'm curious what what led you to vote for Omar Vizquel.
4: Yeah, I, I, you know, guys, I don't know that I've got a a set set of um, of qualifications. I, I try and look at guys individually, and I look at their their contributions. Um, I, I do look at some analytics, but I'm not sure that analytics are the only determining factor for me it's this i I look at this and by every by every measurement at the time that he was playing the game he was considered if not the the best shortstop in the game uh he became the best fielding shortstop when uh when ozzy retired he was he was in my mind, a stellar defender, and I think there is a place in the Hall of Fame for guys who who make their careers as defenders. Uh, and I think that's a I think it's a difficult case to um, to really quantify because we we've, we've had a hard time coming up with defensive metrics that that everybody agrees are accurate. But I do know this that during the entirety of his career, he was considered. And the elite, elite defender. The number of Gold Gloves speak for themselves. And I also, I also don't look at longevity as a negative in the Hall of Fame balloting. If you stay in the big leagues for 25 years, uh, you've done some things right. And uh, if you compile some numbers over the course of those years that, that stand up, like the like the hit total. I don't look at that as as a negative. i I, I think that, that that all works in in your favor and so ultimately for me, I voted I, I, I voted on Omar uh, because I just I, I felt like based on his case as defender, based on how long he was he was considered an elite defender, that I, I believe that that he's worthy of Hall of fame uh, induction.
1: I think Hall of Fame voting is really hard, and I feel like it gets even more difficult seemingly on a yearly basis. How much do you enjoy voting on the Hall of Fame? I,
4: it's. I don't think it's hard. I mean, I okay. think it's. I think it's an honor, and I, I take it seriously. But I also. I, I also try and evolve in how I vote every year. Um, I, I also try and consider. Every year, I try and consider what i heard from fans based on my vote last year because ultimately the hall of fame is is for fans and uh, I, I i try and view like just some input from them on what they value in in a hall of fame player uh, but it's ultimately my decision um and like i say i think that there's different cases to be made for different guys based on on different merits we talked about this over the course of the, of the number of years that Edgar was on the Hall of Fame ballot, and, and I thought the case to make for him was based on what he did, uh, both as, as kind of the icon of the Seattle franchise for such a long period of time, and on how he kind of transformed what the DH was in the American League. So, is there, is there a way to, Specifically measure that? Mm, I don't know, but for me, those were all those were all really valuable criteria, and I'm okay with with the idea that some things that you can't measure uh, make a guy a, a Hall
1: of Famer.
0: I love how Evan just completely shot you out of the sky right there, Gary. That that's fine. Uh, no, no, I, yeah, I, I understand. Own it, own it, it's own it Evan.
4: <laughs> it's hard. It's hard sometimes to deal with social media, right? Because people just wanna wanna take shots and it's hard to satisfy everybody. But in my mind, if we're not enjoying this yeah. we we shouldn't do it. Are the are the choices sometimes difficult? Yeah, look, I mean for me this year, uh I, I, I gave a lot of consideration to Jeff Kent. I gave some consideration to Billy Wagner but I was I was content with the ten guys I put on my ballot, and uh, you know if if not all of those guys make it, and not all of them will obviously, and I'm fine with that too. I, I just think that that the system ultimately works pretty well, uh, and I I think that everybody. Well, I can't speak for everybody. I know that the baseball, the active baseball writers that that I talk to. Who, who are involved and who participate in this, they all take this very seriously, and they put a lot of effort into it, uh, and they're very conscientious about it, and, and I think they enjoy the process.
1: Yeah. That's why I think it's hard. I mean, because the stakes for people that take it seriously, like, I'm not a voter, but I take the Hall of Fame seriously, that it's it can be complicated, especially when, you know you have 10 and maybe you like 11 maybe you like 12 so yeah that's it's a good answer i like this answer it's, i agree with that good. i mean i, I
4: agree that, that there's there's never it's never it's these four guys and that's it or it's these 10 guys and that's it there's always further conversation and yeah. as, as i said you know i was talking to um to Ryan Thibodeau, who who runs the Hall of Fame Tracker online, and and I love the fact that we make our votes um, we make our votes public, and that a lot of guys make their votes public before the ballot, but uh, before the induction ceremony, and that there is this kind of continual conversation online uh, and interest in the Hall of Fame for for two intense interest in the Hall of Fame for the two months leading up to to the voting results. I I, I think it's a good thing for for the game. It's a good thing for the Hall. And and I I just think people people are passionate about it, and I respect that. And a lot of times people are passionate about guys because they're fans and not based on their metrics. And I I see that come across all the time. And as a guy, I've told you guys this before, as a guy who grew up in what was at that point in time, a small market and things that were uh, in, a, in a world that was dominated by the New York and Bostons uh, of the world. I think there is something to be said for guys who were considered long-term icons of a franchise that an entire fan base really got to appreciate.
0: We've got a few minutes left with Evan Grant, who covers the Rangers for the Dallas Morning News. Uh, Hey, Evan, in your own state, huge, huge news, obviously, Uh, the Houston Astros and uh, the penalties of uh, the harshest consequences from the commissioner's office for their sign-stealing scandal. Uh, Jeff Luno is out. A.J. Hench is out, both suspended and fired. The Astros fined $5 million. They lose their first and second-round picks in each of the next two years. I'm curious as a, as a guy who covers the game and sees the Astros as much as we do, Your uh, just overall impressions of uh, the penalties that were imposed on the Astros.
4: I just, I, I just finished the column earlier this evening and, and, um, and it's online, but I've spent the last 24 hours, not so much trying to digest the penalties, but trying to figure out like where this takes us from here. Right. I mean, that's, that, that's ultimately where what I want to see is, is some kind of long-term solution in place. Uh, as far as the, the penalties go, I, I think that it's a really difficult needle that, that Rob Manfred had to had to thread. Uh, he had promised players immunity. and even though this came out to be a player uh, driven and player centric uh, setup, no players were suspended. Um, I, I did think that Jeff Luna was going to end up getting, uh, a longer suspension than he did, but I think that when the Boston reports really started to come to light, I think it was difficult for baseball to look at this and say, well, we may have a whole, um, a whole wave of these investigations that come up and I, and we might not be able to just ban a an entire wave of executives and and managers. And and they may have stepped back from that just a little bit. Um, I don't know that I've I've seen lots of reports about what the Astros made from postseason and from sales and and all of this uh, and how $5 million is a very paltry sum, but it's the most that the commissioner could levy against anybody. If I had any issues with anything, it would be, um, I think that while while there are penalties all the way across the board, the one area that was not um, uh, touched was their international cap space money. And I think that you could make a case that some of that could have been taken away as well.
0: Hey, last minute with Evan Grant. Evan, new ballpark for you guys? There will be people who want to get warmed up, come out to Arlington, catch the Mariners and the Rangers. Now, there's a Lockhart Barbecue that is currently there. right? It's on, the, it's on the curb of the new ballpark. I would say Blow and I ate there every night. Yes, that's a fact, every night. Uh, Gary was there very often as well.
1: Twice during a rain delay, I think.
0: <laughs> so, Evan, outside of Lockhart's, on the curb of the new ballpark, Mariners fans who hop on an Alaska flight, Go nonstop into DFW. They want to take some Texas barbecue in. Where's the one spot you are sending them outside of Lockhart's right there at the ballpark?
4: The one spot, probably the the place that has most impressed me um, most recently in Dallas is uh, Cadillac Barbecue, and it's not spelled like the car. It's spelled like cattle, Mm. A-C-K at the end. Um, uh, and it's only open, I believe, Thursday through Saturday or Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, but I think their meets are just, uh, are just ridiculously good. But if, if, if people come to Dallas and they go to Cadillac, if they go to Lockhart, if they go to Pecan Lodge, uh, Terry Black's just opened in Deep Ellum, very close to Pecan Lodge. If they go to Fort Worth and they go to Heim, uh, and that's H-E-I-M, I think any of those places are going to give people an extraordinary barbecue experience, um, and you can't go wrong with any of them.
0: Now you, you t- you're saying pecan. I mean, you're you're saying it in a way that I can't understand it, but it's, <laughs> you're saying pecan lodge, right, Evan?
4: I, I I don't know why I've always said pecan, but yeah, it's pecan lodge.
0: Because you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna break it into two words, it's it's pecan, right? But you're you're You made up a a whole new pronunciation of of a nut. My
4: first of all, I've I've never been a big fan of that particular nut, uh, so I don't care how I mispronounce it. Um, (laughs) And and, yeah, I I am constantly ridiculed for how I how I pronounce it, and I wish they changed their tree. (laughs) But yeah, what pecan, 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 pecan. Whatever. Go to the lodge in Deep Ellum and and get you some of their brisket. Get you uh the what what I would recommend everybody do there is get the Pitmaster sandwich because it includes all of their meats on it and it is it is just a ridiculous experience.
0: All the meats. That sounds like my kind of meats. sandwich. Uh you know, Evan, I knew I knew this would be the best part of our conversation, so I saved it for the very end. Uh, I'm sorry that Gary was so combative. There's nothing I could do about that. (laughs) Yeah, it got hated. Yeah, it did. Um, But, Evan, you know how we feel about you. We love you. It's always good to talk with you, especially in the winter months. And uh, we'll be seeing you in Surprise or in Peoria or someplace where the Mariners and the Rangers tangle. And then we'll be seeing you plenty uh, come April time. So thanks for hopping on the show late, late back there in uh, the Metroplex. So thank you.
4: All right, guys. I enjoyed it, even though, despite the fact that you were hosting the show, Aaron. Thank you, you, Evan. Thank you very (laughs) much. Yes.
0: There is Evan Grant. We love Evan very much. He's, uh, truthfully, he's one of the best in the business. You see him on MLB Network all the time. And, man, you want to talk meats? You want to talk BBQ? Evan's your guy, as we found out. So now you know. Now you know where to go. All right. That'll do it for hour number one here at the Hot Stove Show. When we come back, we've got hour number two. We'll be joined by Jesse Smith in a short while, Mariner's Director of Analytics. We've got a lot to get to. All that straight ahead.